0: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah welcome here for what is my third um, delivery during the month of Ramadan. And um, we are covering some i would say some reflections of uh, some rules and regulations of Ramadan, why we have Ramadan. So to begin, as Allah mentioned in the Quran, um, that he has Qutiba alaykum wa kama kumah kutiba'al ladinim min qablikum la alaikum. It has been ordained upon you to uh, fast as Siyam. Just like it has been ordained for those before you, other people before you, other nations before you have been given the same obligations, the same thing. And it concludes by saying So hopefully, maybe you will have attain Taqwa. Um, and This is Allah clarifying clearly, what is the purpose behind fasting Ramadan? It is to attain taqwa. Now, what does it mean to attain taqwa? The reason why it's important to highlight this is that sometimes when we think of fasting, we look at the surface action of fasting, we say, okay, look, I'm hungry. Um, I'm not eating for a certain period of time. People say, oh, this is my way to understand and uh, empathize with those who don't have food those who don't have um, the ability to feed themselves and their own family so we are emulating you could say starvation um, so that we can understand what they don't have and i guess appreciate what we do have and no doubt that would be a one of the many blessings or, or uh, wisdom, hikmah, uh, behind uh, fasting. And uh, just like you can say, that there's, a, there's a wisdom for a lot of things. But that isn't what was said stipulated specifically in the Quran. What was said specifically in the Quran is that you may attain taqwa. So question is, what is taqwa? Taqwa comes from the word waqayati wiqaya, And wiqaya means like a shield. A means to block you from something. Um, so you can, uh, I don't know what that noise was, um, so you will be able to uh, essentially block um, yourself from, you know, what well, in the case of it, it's, it's a, a shield. So the ulama say taqwa specifically is a means to block you from sins and block you from transgression. So the more taqwa a person has, the more they have to defend themselves against their own uh, failings their own sins and so on and so forth so I mean Taqwa is a bit of an odd one when you translate it some, some people translate it as God-fairiness and I guess you could say God-fairiness as in if you fear Allah that will prevent you from sins I guess so that will be another way of looking at it but essentially the, the origin of Taqwa is to have a barrier between you and sins that is strong enough to prevent you from sins that is essentially what taqwa is now this is attained through fasting and islam again is a practical religion a religion that gives you things to do and say and whatnot that is real has real life results measurable it's real it's not just a fantasy and theoretical stuff like a lot of these isms and these, these these ideologies and New world, new world religions. There are a lot of them just fantasy and I believe and I think and it should be and blah blah Islam is actually real. This is actually how it is. And if you do this, this actually will be the result. It's practical. And I guess this doesn't always um please many people or, or a lot of people, but it is what it is. Um so back to the point. So Islam fasting is for you to attain taqwa. So whoever takes it upon himself to fast that hopefully will be the end result but how how does a person attain taqwa through fasting okay one thing I've said to people about fasting in Ramadan you can almost reword the whole purpose of Ramadan not. Or you can give as a phrase you can give or one word you can say is self-restraint that is literally the ability to have food and water in front of you have the ability to reach out grab that thing and consume it if you so wished to do so but yet you say to yourself no i'm gonna stop you're gonna withhold and restrain yourself from um, indulging in those desires that essentially is a description a practical description of taqwa that which prevents you from sin so if you are able to practically speaking, stop yourself from your nafs. Your, I mean, your nafs as in your soul. Your nafs has desires, it wants things, that's fair enough. And there are um, fundamental na- uh, desires that we want. Food and drink and one's desires are definitely fundamental. They are essentially what, what is at the core of most of our, our behavior, you can say, food and drink uh, is at the core of most of our behavior, right Um we are motivated to find sustenance, food. We are motivated to seek out a mate or a partner for or whatever. So we are motivated in those manner, in, in such a manner. So we can see immediately that at the core of of, of, of fasting is actually to say to your nafs, is actually to say, to can say, prioritize the aql, put the intellect over the nafs. Just like we say that those who indulge themselves in their desires over their intellect, they're like animals, or even worse as Allah, Allah says in the Quran, بَلْ kal am أَنْعَامِ بَلْ هُمْ أَضَلٌ. So, "Hum kal anam هُمْ أَضَلٍ They are like cattle, rather they are worse. And even Allah mentioned in the Quran, Afara نَتَّخَذَ هو Have you not seen? The ones who take their desires as their gods besides Allah. So we can see here that desires are there to signal to us what our physical body wants, but our intellect is there to make the decision whether or not to do X, Y, and Z, whether or not to feed the desire and give it what it wants if it's the right time to do so, or to withhold and restrain ourselves until later on. That is essentially how we attain taqwa so therefore the way to attain taqwa through fasting is to actually fast now are there people are there those who don't have to fast they are are they are exempt from fasting yes they are but they're for different reasons so maybe the the, the first type for example the easiest one to do will be the elderly and not just because you're old you don't have to fast it is someone who is old enough whereby fasting would harm them physically. They are unable to fast because if they were to do so, that fast would result in them harming themselves. Whereas if they can fast, if they can still fast, they're still going strong, 80, 90 years old, they can still fast, Ramadan, then it's upon to fast. Only if you are unable to fast, then you are exempt from fasting. And in that case, if that, issue is perpetual ongoing which is generally old age is ongoing and i've never heard of anyone reversing it um then you feed the poor uh for the days you don't fast that's 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 a given um, and i guess you could say an extension of that same ethos the same uh, reasoning would be the ill they're not old but they are ill so what kind of um fasting would be uh, so what kind of sickness would allow you to break your fast it would be a sickness that increases you in difficulty and in harm in, 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 in harming your own self so for example having a headache doesn't justify breaking your fast now it could be the case of me imagine as, uh, I have come across people who have every time they fast they have headaches they have migraines um, and I guess it gets down to a, 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 a case by case scenario, but the general, rule I'm to, the general rule I'm trying to establish here is that being ill doesn't mean you can break your fast. It means being ill to the level whereby it affects your fast. So, for example, if you've got a rash, that is effectively illness, but it doesn't break your fast. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to break your fast. It is, there's no connection between your fasting and having a rash. Um, and I'm sure you can think of many examples of someone being ill whereby, like, they've got an eye infection. That doesn't break your fast. Although, truth be told, um, if you took eye drops because um, you got an eye infection, would that break your fast? So you're going to fast, but you take taking eye drops. Would that break your fast? Now there is a channel in your eye that leads to the back of your throat. Um, uh, so at least you know, nasal cavity, which you obviously get back your So if you do take an eye drop and you actually taste it at the back of your throat then effectively your fast is broken because you've, you've, you've ingested it. But generally speaking, everyone knows when food has reached the point of no return. Everyone knows that. So if you taste it there, then you've reached a point of no return. That's all eye drops. Um, but it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't just break your fast just because you have um, an eye infection or take an eye drop. Uh, medication, ingest if you your your body, your mouth, obviously drinking or not, that breaks your fast, obviously. Um, but creams and anointments so are that doesn't necessarily break your your fast. So yeah, so illness, yes, as Allah says, whoever <speaking in foreign language> monks is sick or on a journey, then they make up their fast another time. So again, if your fast makes it makes it too unbearably difficult for you to fast, um then you have the option of breaking your fast. Uh, otherwise, you, you can keep your fast. Um, and as I just mentioned, about meant, meant that safar, those upon journey, safar uh, then they have the option also to break their fast. I think I mentioned that before. Uh, they'll make it up another time. Um, there's also um, another one which is very common, which is due to pregnancy. Um, if someone is uh, pregnant, it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily break your fast. Yeah, obviously, it's a case whereby if you fear for yourself or your child, then you can break it fast, otherwise, no need to break it fast. Now here comes an important part which is do the Mumayiz. The Mumayyas. And I'll give you a context why I brought this up. So um there's a family I know of who their children, I think 10 and 9, they have been fasting Ramadan. May Allah well, help them and give them a lot much blessing. And their school um, came to them at the beginning of the with glasses of water and essentially forced all the children to break their fast um, now their case was oh kids you are not allowed them to fast and so on so forth now i can understand ignorance you know um, if a non-muslim is unaware of how muslims fast they may assume it's like how other people fast like for example christians they when they fast they fast continuously for days it's not just sunrise and sunset for days I mean, I've even seen people that three days, four days in, they haven't eaten anything for three, four days fasting. That's not what we do. So if they think that's what Muslims do, then educate them and so on and so forth. But they just force the children to break their fast. Um, and then the parents already heard about it and then the parents argued, say, how, how dare you do so? Um, that's wrong and so on and so forth. And the school backed down and allowed the kids to fast. But then the, kid, the school came back a few days later and said, oh, we've consulted with a scholar of Islam. And they said kids don't have to fast and therefore we're not going to allow it. Because they, they still don't want they, they to leave it. And um, a lot of the the parents, I think majority of the parents, capitulated. They said, okay, fair enough, kids don't fast. Uh, but some said no, I don't agree with that. And they said our kids will not want to fast. So this kid, the kids to the school, out of spite, Said, okay, we allow the kid, those, those kids to fast, but they're not allowed to play in program during lunchtime or play with any other kids. And on top of that, they made the children sit down in the corner facing the wall and they were, they forbade them from speaking during lunchtime. So, effectively, what's happening here is that they're trying to penalize them and punish them for wanting to fast. So, may Allah aid those children against the oppressors because they are definitely oppressors. But the point here is that's that's what brought me to want to discuss this. Um, children and fasting. Um, now when it comes to all acts of worship, children need to begin engaging in all acts of worship from the age of seven. We see from the message of Allah that we told the, the, the told us to order our children to pray at the age of seven and to Give them licks if they refuse at the age of ten. Right. Um, so this is established a precedence for acts of worship need to be begun at the age of seven. However, we also know in Islam that seven-year-olds are not accountable for their for any sins. There's no if they didn't pray, there's no sin involved. So then, how do you reconcile between the two things—the ordering them to pray—yet they have no sin if they don't pray? So the ulama say that the obligation is on the parents to let them make them pray. And if they don't pray, then the sins are on the parents. So same thing applies with other acts of worship, like fasting and so, and so forth, that seven years old is the time they should, they should begin to experience the worship and they should indulge in worship so that when it comes time that it is an obligation, they're already ready. They, they already know they've done it like since as long as they can remember they've been fasting. I think the earliest memory I have myself is probably about six, seven years old. So yeah, if they, if, if, as long as they remember, they've always fasted Ramadan, then when it comes time to fast, and when it comes an obligation to fast Ramadan, then they have full knowledge on how to fast, and now they fast. Um, And this brings back to the, what we just started off this this talk of, So that you may attain taqwa. And I explained that taqwa, one of the main manifestations of taqwa is self-restraint. If a child, I mean, forget an adult, if a child of eight years old is able to stop eating and drinking from sunrise to sunset and can do so consistently, masha'Allah, mashallah, have Allah blessing and barakah in their, in their lives, they have demonstrated that they can stop and say no, not the kind of child that we're saying to them no, they're like, okay, but I'm going to do it anyway. They can't, they can't control themselves. Actually, the day that they, they've demonstrated that even when they're hungry, even when they're tired from praying nighttime, Qiyam al-Layl, when wake up early, for sahur, even after all of that, they can still maintain the fort and fast. This is the lesson that we are teaching our children and we should teach our children on the flip side. What kind of lesson are we teaching our children? If at the age of seven, eight, nine, ten, when everyone around them is fasting, and you're telling them no, you don't have to fast because it's it's difficult, it's hard, you know, you might make yourself sick. What lesson are we teaching our children at the age that when it comes time actually to fast, no doubt there'll be some anxieties. They will even find it difficult, and this is why you find some parents actually do find it difficult to engage their children in Islam because they never engaged them before when it comes time to wearing a hijab when they're now 13 14 they don't want a hijab but why don't why don't why don't they want to wear hijab because they never did you, you didn't tell them to do something they've never did they've never done and what's ironic is that at the age of seven eight and nine that's the, actually the age they want to do what you're doing they want to emulate you and copy you in everything you do so if they if they see you fasting and they want to copy you fasting and you tell them don't that's the message you're teaching them. If they see you praying or going to the masjid for qiyamullah, for Tarawih, and you say to them, No, go sleep. It's late. Don't come. That's the message you're teaching them. So that is actually the tarbiyah you're giving them. So when it comes time to actually do it, and you say, Come, come, come and go to the masjid, then, and now at that age, when they don't even listen to you anymore, when they get teenage and don't listen to you anymore, then none of us really should be surprised to find our kids are not involved in it. I'm not interested in it now it's not to push blame on anyone by the way I'm not saying that I'm just saying that there is a wisdom and there is a reason and a blessing even a mercy from Islam that encourages us to begin teaching our kids about what it means to be Muslim and how it actually is to be Muslim from the moment they have what's called Tamiz and that's age of seven Tamiz age of seven is the age rabbi a person is account not accountable so they can they can recognize right and wrong they have enough intellect and intelligence to distinguish right and wrong they're just not fully really there yet that comes with puberty which is uh the fact fi- there are five signs of baluq which is puberty where they are 100 accountable one of them is um, uh, a wet dream um the other one is for girls they have their cycle or if they're able to get pregnant um, or the age of 15, or pubic hairs, hairs growing in your private parts. These are the five signs that says, okay, now you're fully accountable. Now you are an adult. But we can't say, or Islam doesn't say or suggest that they're only at that age they have common sense. No, obviously they have common sense before that. But this because it's, it's intellect is not a, it's not a binary thing whereby either you don't have it or you have it. It's, it comes yeah. over time. By that time, definitely you've got it and we, Islam attaches the role into what is visible, what is measurable, but we can't measure the aql So therefore, we know that it begins to come into play at seven onwards, so we start training them up from seven onwards So when it comes time for them to be Muslim, 100%, they're already there So this is the lesson we need to start teaching our children from a very early age uh, and not be complacent or or, or get weak especially doesn't in, 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 this, in this society whereby essentially not only are we the minority in our society we are the minority amongst the muslim even mo- even the muslims most muslims will, will capitulate and just do whatever the of and tell them to do but to be the ones who want to raise our children as good muslims is very it's it's difficult upon difficult so i just want to draw that attention because it was plaguing my mind for last couple of days I was quite upset when I heard about what I did to those children, um, out of spite by the way because there's no reason to do that but that's what they did and um, yeah that's it Inshallah so well I want because it's a topic I'm assuming many may have questions I want to open up for the last seven minutes to any kind of questions you might have, might have in that one I see some already here so Let's have a look now at what questions we have available. We have loads of salams. So, everyone who gave salams, salam, wa alaikum wa salam wa rahmatullahi wa uh, Siyam, I guess, is the plural of psalm. Yes, it is. Siyam is the plural of psalm. And psalm, even the word psalm is, is is our lesson. Psalm means uh, to withhold, like to hold back from something. So, essentially, when we're doing siyam, we are holding back our nafs. We're just time the nafs and wrapping it up say, look, Go back, get back, get back. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Um, uh, so uh, very important to make a distinction during the fast, mashallah. I'm not sure that we're trying to. Um, next, one is: Do you have to fast the whole day from the age of seven? Yes. So um, when it comes to fasting, age of seven. Um, so here it is fasting is very simple the rules and regulations that apply to us or applies to the children nothing special so just like you if you actually can't fast the whole day for whatever reason medical reason as in you've got halfway through and you're literally you're you're passing out and you've got some other issues and the medical reasons you fear for your life for example then you break your fast i mean there's there's not any special factor for that it, it, it's it's said in the quran and that applies to the children so if a seven-year-old, you say I it's start to fast and they're fasting, and they are fine, and you find and you can see that they are struggling, then they can break their fast. I mean, it's obvious. No one's saying make your child fast, even if it harms them. That's not what we're saying. We're saying make them fast so they can see how it is, and you'll actually find if they can fast or not. So um what would that what you'd have to do though, what you'd have to do though if you're realistic about fasting, you, do, you should do it for yourself anyway. Obviously like you treat your child as you should treat yourself. Give them the necessary tools that aids them to complete the task. What What's the most important tool for a fasting person? A suhoor. Having that breakfast is the most important thing you can give any fasting person. And especially a seven-year-old who has never fasted before if you're gonna give them if you're gonna wake them up just just for fudge time and not even give them so and expect them to fast, that's 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 difficult for an adult, let alone for a child. So give them something nice, healthy, heavy food, um, that can last them, oats, banana, dates, honey, mix it up, whatever, whatever eggs, eggs is perfect. Like give them two eggs, two eggs, some nice toast, turkey rashes, maybe some oats as well. That will last them longest while yeah Um, so you give them the tools necessary to fast now is it possible that they won't fast the whole Ramadan because of difficulty it's possible of course you play it by air that's the point you play it by air they start the fast halfway how you doing I'm doing good you got two four hours of how you doing I'm doing good you play it by air so no one's saying you literally force them to fast but we do find that the Sahaba when their kids were fasting and sometimes they were, they were up there, some even crying because they were hungry. They used to engage playing with them to try and distract them from the hunger until iftar time comes. So, like I said, it's the issue of a momentary discomfort for reward at the end. So, the kids are learning from a young age. Yeah, there's times of difficulty and there's times of ease. So, you're actually practically learning. In the ma'al you usri after every hardship comes ease. Imagine that as a lesson for Ramadan to get. After this hardship, from let's just say, from the moment they wake up till about six o'clock, seven o'clock. Then there's ease. At the very least, that's, that's, the, lesson that, that's, that's the lesson that they learn. But like I said, don't treat your child any differently than you treat anyone. There's no special hukum for them. The hukum is the same for anyone else. If you can't handle the fast, then you break your fast. Just like if they can't handle the fast, then they break the fast. The only issue is, you'd only know that if you tried to fast. Um, brother and sisters, well, it's not about the age; it's about puberty. What's what? Sure that's about what I was referring to. But yeah, so um, so that's basically the the issue, and and this also applies for breastfeeding and for being pregnant. Again, the only reason why you should be breaking your fast if you're pregnant or breastfeeding is if you generally uh, fear for your child or yourself physically, medically, and you'd only know that. If you fasted and you only be able, and you only be able to realistically know that if you made the necessary preparation so that means drinking enough fluids having a good enough breakfast and then you must start your fast if you wake up after suhoor no suhoor then don't blame the fast for being difficult you made it difficult on yourself by not preparing yourself for it so we need to try our best to manifest what Allah said in the Quran when he said La alla Hopefully, maybe you will attain Taqwa There's only really many questions that anyone mentioned here, so I guess we would um call it wali for today when we get that inshallah. Um beyond Muhammadin wa'aalihi wasahbihi ajma'een.